Woo. <laughs> Let's give them another hand. That was great. Yeah. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 33. Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 33. And we are only, I say only today, looking at eight verses. Usually in Judges, we've been looking at 30, 40, maybe 50 verses in our quest to get to the book of Judges. But today I felt like it was worth slowing down a little bit. Because it's a very famous passage. It deals with that whole topic, how do you discern God's will in your life? You ever wrestled with that question? What is God calling me to do in this particular decision? How many by show of hands have wrestled with that question at some point in your life? Yeah, all of us have. And I've heard a lot of different Christians talk about how, you know, God opened this door or he closed this door. Or I've heard Christians say, you know, I really felt this this peace about it, or, or heartburn about it. Either way can be good or bad, I guess, huh? Um, I've heard all sorts of phrases that we often use as Christians to help us discern the will of the Lord. There's a helpful book that'll be in the book nook soon. If you look on screen, it's by uh, Kevin DeYoung called Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will. And if you can make out that picture, he's trying, this guy's trying to discern God's will, and it says, uh, or how to make a decision without dreams, visions, Fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, which I'm not sure what that is, um, writing in the sky, etc. That's going to be in the book nook soon, and I'm going to quote and reference that book quite a bit today because I found it so helpful for me as I think about how do we actually discern God's will. And here's what Kevin DeYoung says. He says, if God has a wonderful plan for my life, then why doesn't he just tell me what it is? After all, our lives down here are a confusing mess of fits and starts, dead ends and open doors, possibilities and competing ideals. There's so many decisions to make, and none of the answers always seem clear. So here's some examples. What should I do this summer? What should my major be? What kind of career do I want? Should I be a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker? Do I want a career? Should I get married? Whom should I marry? Do I want kids? How many kids? Should I play sports? Or sing in the choir, at least the praise choir. You should sing in that, right? Right. (laughs) Where should I go to college? Should I even go to college? Should I go to grad school? What job should I take? Should I even stay in my current job? Should I be a missionary? Should I be a pastor? Should I volunteer here or there? Should I leave home and test the waters elsewhere? Is now the right time to buy a house? And it goes on. For some, there are serious money, relationship, even retirement questions. How should I spend my money? Where should I give my money? Where should I go to church? How should I serve my church? What should I be doing with the rest of my life? And where and with whom should I be doing it? When should I retire? What should I do in retirement? That's just a few of the questions that we wrestle with, right? Well, we're going to try to address some of that today and how to discern God's will with this passage. So if you're able to, would you stand for the reading of God's word. Remember, this is going to be short today. At least the passage will be. Maybe the sermon won't be, but the passage will be. We're going to start at Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 33. Let me read this, and then I'll remind us of the context. It says this, Now all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples, they joined forces and crossed over the Jordan River and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So last week we said that 
the Midianites were oppressing the Israelites. And it was a horrible oppression, so much so that they were taking their cattle and livestock and their crops. I mean, this is economic oppression to the worst degree. And God had showed up and called Gideon, who was very reluctant to lead his people to victory. And so now we see in verse 33 that this enemy army, along with some other armies, are joining forces. They are ready to do battle with Israel. And then it says this in verse 34. Then the spirit of the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit, came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. These are other tribal territories of Israel. So that they too went up to meet them. So do you see what's happening? There's the one enemy army, the Midianites, the Amalekites, all the ites are getting ready to fight Gideon's army and the Israelites. And then here's the very famous passage in verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a what? A wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would be helpful today as we talk about your will. I pray that this would not be confusing. Lord, help my words to be clear. And most of all, Father, I pray that your spirit would anoint my word so that it can speak clearly and with conviction and power to our hearts today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So how do we discern God's will? I remember growing up in this church, I heard people say in this very church, I'm going to put a fleece out and kind of test and see if God is calling me to do this or that. Now, I don't hear that kind of language as much anymore, but I think the concept is still there. We want to put a, a test out, maybe a sign out and see, is God really calling me to do this or that? Go this place or that place, make this decision or not? So I'm going to try to answer that question today. How do we discern God's will? And by the way, I believe that hopefully by the end of this, you'll have a lot more confidence, less confusion. This won't be such a tricky topic anymore. At least that's my goal. And I want to tackle this in four parts today, four parts to help us discern what God's will is and what it means in Scripture. So first of all, in the first part, I want to talk about God's will in Scripture and how Scripture uses this idea. And this is from that Kevin DeYoung book, this outline. The first one, there's three parts to this, is what we call God's will of what? What's it say? Decree. It's God's will of, say it again, decree. So when Scripture talks about God's will, this is referring to everything that happens in life. Everything is planned or ordained by God. That's what we mean when we say God's will of decree. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be thwarted. He has planned everything that's going to happen, and we can't stop it. So Kevin DeYoung says in his book, uh, this means that God is sovereign over nature and nations, 
animals and angels, spirits, even Satan, wonderful and wicked people, even disease and death and suffering. I would add that under this category, every single square inch or square speck of dust is under God's sovereign will of decree. And we see this kind of language all through scripture, even though this is troubling to us as Americans, I get it because we love our freedom, but we see this kind of language all through scripture. Look at Ephesians 1:11. It says, in him, that's in God or Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out how many things? Everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Jesus said very famously in Matthew 10, 29, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them, not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. King David says in Psalm 139, verse 16, he says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days, what's it say there? Ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So in God's will of decree, did you know that it is God's will that you're here today, right now, listening to me? This is getting at that God's will of decree, his sovereign plan. The second aspect of God's will that we see in scripture, let's say it together, is God's will of what? Desire. So he does it all in deeds, like a good preacher here. So God's will of decree, God's will of desire. And this is a little bit different than decree. God's will of desire are his commands, his oughts in scripture that he wants us to follow, We can obey this aspect of his will, or we can reject this aspect of his will. With God's will of decree, we can't do that. That's going to happen no matter what. But in this aspect, we can obey it. We can disregard it. We can be out of God's will in this second sense by not following the commands of Scripture. So let me give you a couple of Bible verses that uh, display this. 1 John 2, 15, 16, and 17 are parts of it. It says, do not love the world if anyone loves the world Love for the Father is not in them. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So the Apostle John is talking about that second sense, that will of desire. Here's another verse on screen talking about that sense as well. Matthew seven twenty one. this is Jesus talking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the what? The will of my Father. Who is in heaven? God's will of desire, his commands that he wants us to obey. And then, you know what? In the New Testament, the apostle Paul will often say, it is God's will that. And do you, know what, do you want to know what God's will for your life is, according to the apostle Paul? You ready? Here it is. It is God's will that you should be what? Sanctified or holy or set apart for God, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. So let me tell you very confidently, I'm 100% sure it is God's will that you live a sexually pure life that honors him. Amen? Amen. This is getting at God's will of of desire. Now, before we go on to the next D, if you think about these first two points a lot, it kind of messes with your brain. You know what I mean? Because there's a couple questions I have. Maybe you have these questions. If God has a certain will of decree that everything that happens is under that will, including suffering, and yet God's will of desire is that no one perish, that all come to repentance, really that good things happen, why is it that God decrees some things when he desires other things? Have you ever thought about that? 
And you know what the answer is? I can give you a very confident, I don't know. <laughs> but here's what Deuteronomy 29, 29 says. I think Moses is getting at this a little bit. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's God's will of decree, that big sovereign plan. We don't understand why he does what he does. But the things revealed, that's God's will of desire, his commands, belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So we don't always understand why God decrees certain things, yet he desires different things. We're not totally sure, but, but God is God. And you know what's helped me in all of this? The thing that's helped me in all these big philosophical questions is if God is willing to send his son Jesus Christ to die for me, I can trust that he's got this figured out. I can trust that he loves me. It's not because he hates me or has a horrible plan for my life, but God may decree things that he may not always desire. Here's another question that comes up too. If God decrees certain things, how do I have free will? And I actually preached on that this spring. So if you look in our sermon archives, you can probably find it, I believe. Is that correct? Okay, yes. But the answer to that too is I don't know how God's sovereignty and our freedom perfectly align. They don't make sense in our brain, yet scripture teaches both that God is 100% sovereign and in control and we are 100% responsible for the decisions we make or don't make. And somehow scripture is totally fine with that. Let me go to the third D. If you have more questions about that, you can ask me later. The third D, we had God's will of decree, God's will of desire. Let's say this one together. God's will of direction. And this is the one we're getting at today. You know, what does God specifically want me to do in this situation? Like with Gideon, he wanted to know, God, are you really calling me to go and attack the Midianites and the Amalekites and all these people? God, do you want me to take this job? God, do you want me to marry this person? God, do you want me to make this decision or not? That's what we're getting at today. So let me go to part two. That's part one. Remember, we have four parts. The second question I want us to wrestle with today in our text is, was Gideon right to ask God for a sign, not once, but how many times? Twice. Technically, he did it three times. If you remember last week, he had another sign. Was Gideon right to test God and say, you know what, Lord, if it's really you, let's do this really cool nifty science experiment with this fleece. See if it's wet or dry. <laughs> Was Gideon right to do so? And so here's what I want you to do just for a couple seconds. I do this every once in a while. Turn to your neighbor, introduce yourself if you don't know him, smile at him awkwardly, and then... <laughs> Discuss, do you think Gideon was right to ask for a sign using the fleece, the fleeces, the fleece eye, however you say it? Or was he incorrect to do so, all right? I'll give you like 10 seconds, okay? Don't think too hard. Go. You don't have a neighbor, feel free just to smile. <laughs> Okay, let's take a vote. Was Gideon right to ask God for a sign? Was he wrong to ask God for a sign? How many didn't vote in these votes that I like to do? All right, okay. <laughs> it was God's will that you don't vote, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Let me give a very definite, it's complicated answer to this question. Because <laughs> on the one hand, if you and I were Gideon, wouldn't we probably do the same thing? I mean, remember at this point, they don't have the, the Bible, really. He doesn't have a copy like we do. We have hundreds of copies. I have copies on my phone. He doesn't have the New Testament at this point. 
Jesus Christ has not come. The Holy Spirit hasn't been given, at least inside of him. It comes on him, but not in him. So before we bash poor Gideon, I think we would have been in the same boat. Like, God, are you really calling me to do this against the mighty Midianites who've been oppressing us for years? You know, call somebody else. Ultimately, I think, though, Gideon was not exactly right, if you want my personal opinion. Because last week in verse 17, Gideon already asked God for a sign in verse 17. And so he made this meal for the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord waits for the meal to be made and says, put it on the rock. And then the angel of the Lord touches it with his staff and fire consumes the meal right in front of Gideon's eyes. And Gideon says, oh, sovereign Lord, I have seen the Lord face to face. And yet I live. I mean, I don't know about you, but that should have been enough of a sign for Gideon to know God is with me. We're going to be victorious. He just consumed the food with fire, and I saw the Lord face to face. Another reason why I think the author is telling us that Gideon is not exactly right to do this is, if you look at verse 34 carefully, it talks about the spirit of the Lord coming on Gideon. Technically, the word behind that is actually the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And then what did Gideon use to test God? He used a piece of clothing, a wool fleece. And so I think the writer is telling us this, hey, Gideon has already been assured by a sign. He has the Holy Spirit coming on him. He should be assured enough and stop doubting. What I find amazing about all of this, though, is even though Gideon's motivations may be wrong, he may be doubting and disbelieving, God is so gracious to use a guy like Gideon. He is so amazing and so powerful that he is so intentional on accomplishing his salvation that Gideon is not going to get in the way. He's going to make sure Gideon is assured and ready to go so that God can accomplish his salvation. He doesn't depend on us. Let's go to question number three now. We finally get to the question we've been waiting for. How do we actually discern God's will? So if Gideon was wrong, at least that's what I'm arguing, And you can disagree with me, by the way. Biblical scholars are kind of divided on both sides of this. How do we actually discern God's will? Should we put out a fleece? I mean, should you go home tonight and have a big decision? You're going to put this blanket on your grass and kind of do this test? Is that the application of the story today? Some of you are laughing because you know it's not. How do we actually discern God's will on this side of the New Testament, on this side of Christ coming, and on this side of the Holy Spirit coming? Well, let me give you a few steps. Number one, and some of you know these, we need to seek the counsel of Scripture. If we are making a decision and it clearly violates God's will of desire, his commands, if it goes against one of his principles or commands, then it is clear that it is not God's will for you to make that decision. Of course, it would be nice if Scripture had a playbook, wouldn't it? Like, Lord, what should I do? Should I... Should I date this person or not? Let me just open it up and see what you say, Lord. It doesn't really work like that, does it? (laughs) Scripture is not a case book, a playbook for what you do next in life necessarily. Here's how Kevin DeYoung says it. We all wish the Bible was that kind of book, but it's not, and listen carefully, because God is interested in more than getting us to follow his to-do list. He wants transformation of our hearts in the process. God doesn't want us to merely give external obedience to his commands. He wants us to know him and follow him. He wants our thoughts to be his thoughts, our ways to be his ways, our affections to be his affections. So as we are soaked in God's word, I think this is what he's saying, as we are soaked in God's word, it's not gonna give us an exact answer what to do or not to do, 
but it's gonna help us become the kind of people who can make wise decisions under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so I would counsel you, if you are not soaked in scripture right now and you are trying to make a major decision, maybe, maybe slow down a little bit. Become the kind of person who is reading God's word and seeking God's face through the word of God so that your heart can be shaped into the kind of person that can make a very wise decision. Here's a second step as part of this, how do we discern God's will? We need to seek the counsel of wise and godly people. Not wise guys, but wise and godly people. Proverbs talks a lot about this, that you know, he who heeds advice and correction is wise, and he who doesn't is a fool, it says. And it doesn't mean that all the people you talk to are necessarily right about what you should do or shouldn't do, but, but if you're talking with godly friends, godly mentors, godly coaches who know you best, and all of them are telling you one, one thing saying, hey, don't do this or do that, you should probably listen. Men, especially if you are married, you should probably listen to your wife. <laughs> all women should say amen there. Because <laughs> God often speaks through our spouses, whether we like to admit it or not. So if all the people in your life are saying, you know what, don't date this person, then you should really consider that because they can see it objectively and you can't, or they're telling you don't take this job or take it, then you should really consider that. Not that it's 100% from the Lord, but that's part of scripture. That's part of Proverbs is seeking the counsel of wise and godly people. Let's go to step number three. Through the entire process, we should pray. But you may say, duh, but that's true. Through the entire process, we are asking God, what do you want to do? What decision do you want me to make? Who should I talk to about this decision? What should I read in your word? Should I read that Kevin DeYoung book? I mean, you're asking God constantly, show me the way. Let me have an attitude that surrenders to you and your spirit so that I know what to do. And then step number four, this is the final step. I could have put tons of steps, but we'll just break it down to four. Use some common sense and make a decision. At some point, you can only weigh and wrestle with stuff for so long. And at some point, you have to make a decision whether to go, stay, whatever it is. If I can talk to my generation for a second and younger, so I am 35, I'm technically a millennial, I guess, even though I like to think I'm not a millennial because they give us a bad name, you know. If I can talk to my generation and younger, um, a couple things I've noticed about when it comes to making decisions Number one, we have so many choices today, don't we? When you get out of college, when you're in high school, it's like the world is before you. You can be whatever you want to be. My mom told me I can do that. I mean, we, we feel like we could do anything, and thus it becomes so paralyzing. You know what I mean? Once you get out of high school and you don't have that routine and that plan and telling you what to do, it's, it's, it can be overwhelming and exhausting and paralyzing to make a decision. But at some point, though, you have to make a decision and trust that God will lead you. He has this will of decree. God's plan is not second. It's, it's not like you're gonna miss out on God's will. <laughs> He's got a perfect plan for you, even if it doesn't make sense. The second thing I would say to my generation and younger is I've noticed that we put a lot of emphasis on finding fulfillment in our jobs, almost obsessively so. <laughs> Now, I am not against having fulfillment in your job. I find great fulfillment in my job most of the time. Not all the time, if I can be honest, but most of the time I love what I do. But if we're expecting 100% fulfillment and purpose all the time in any single job, the older generation will tell you, 
That's not true, is it? (laughs) Sometimes you have to have a job simply because you have to have a job, right? You have to pay the bills. And I even think that sometimes you may take a job that you didn't intend on taking because you're forced to, and God has something to teach you through that. God wants to teach you perseverance and character. Remember, he's, he's much more concerned with you being a kind of certain person, I think, than specifically what decision you make. He's trying to shape you and mold you. So if you have to go through a season of a hard job or a job you don't want or a season of that's difficult, that is okay. In fact, God can use that to shape us. I'm often concerned when I see people in our churches and as Christians, sometimes we will get out of a situation just because it's hard. And it's true God may be leading you out of that situation, but oftentimes I think he wants you to stay in it and keep going and persevering and and learning things about how to depend on him. Don't abandon ship too quickly just because it's too hard. Let's go to part number four, our last part. So we've talked about God's will of decree, desire, direction, talked about was Gideon right or wrong. And you could ask, was Pastor Rick right or wrong in that? That's up for you to decide. Um, We've also talked about how do you discern God's will The last thing is, should we ever ask for signs? What do you think? Should we ever, like Gideon, is it ever okay to kind of test God and say, you know, Lord, if it's cloudy tomorrow, that means I should do this. Or God, make it so clear to me that I have a dream this night about this thing, showing me that I should make this decision. What do you think? Is it ever right to ask God for a sign? Some of you are smiling. Even though it's bright up here, I can still tell that some of you are smiling because you're not sure. And to the answer to this question, I would say, again, it's a little bit complicated. Did you know that this is the first place in Scripture that really anyone asked God for a sign directly? And did you also know that for the most part in Scripture, when God reveals himself in signs, that usually it's initiated by God and not by the human, the individual? Did you know that? I want to be careful how I answer this because I know that God can speak in so many different ways. Just read the book of Acts and Peter gets an incredible vision to go and reach out to the Gentiles. Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia saying, come on over, help us, we need your help. But I don't think that's the normal way God speaks, if I can be honest. The normal way God speaks is through his word, through other people, including your spouse, like I said, through prayer, as you make decisions and take a risk and step out in faith. That's normally how God speaks. But I don't want to put a lid on the other things either because I know God can speak in a variety of ways. I know when we felt called to come to First Missionary Church, you know, that was a hard decision because we were leaving a church, coming to a, a new church. It was both sad and exciting at the same time. How did we know that God was calling us to come here? Well, we kind of had to go through this process too. You know, scripture, friends, prayer. You know, we had some unusual things happen too, but that wasn't the norm in our process. For the most part, it was just trying to discern, God, what are you doing as we talk with people, as we talk with the church? And then at some point, we had to make a decision. And I think, this is my opinion too, you can take it for what it is. I think that we could have been in God's will either way, whether we came or stayed. So is it ever right to ask God for a sign? Well, I think it depends. Gideon, I think, was wrong because his heart wasn't trusting God. It was out of unbelief and fear. 
There's other places in scripture where it's wrong too. You think of Jesus when he's being tempted in the desert and the devil said, you know, put yourself up here and throw yourself down, you know, and and make God rescue you basically. And basically Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus in that moment was quoting the book of Deuteronomy talking about the Israelites who put God to the test when when God had led them out of slavery in Egypt. They got out in the desert and there's no water and and they're like, you know, God, you let us out to kill us. We had it better in Egypt. And it says they put the Lord their God to the test. And so I think sometimes when we ask for a sign, we are putting God to the test like the Israelites, like Satan was tempting Jesus to, like even like Gideon was to a certain degree because all of them were were rooted in unbelief. God had led them out of slavery. That should have been enough. God had revealed himself to Gideon. That should have been enough. But then there's other times in scripture too, and this is far more the minority examples. Look at the Virgin Mary. We're gonna be thinking about her a lot with Christmas coming up. When the angel tells her, hey, you're gonna have a child. She's kind of like, hey, how can this be? (laughs) Since I'm a virgin. And he's like, the angel's like, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. You know, the child from you will be from the Holy Spirit. And here's another sign, basically, is what he says. Your cousin Elizabeth, you know, she's going to have a child too. So in that situation, God didn't slap Mary upside the head and said, you know, get in the game. No, she was trusting out of faith. I all think it comes back, I think it really comes back to where is your heart when you're asking God for these things? This isn't the normal thing we seek, but... If we want want to ask God out of faith and trust, saying, you know what, Lord, just make it ultra clear. I think he will. He's a good God. I want to close today, and then we'll have a time of communion. The Pharisees had asked Jesus for a sign in Matthew. The Pharisees came up to Jesus, and in Matthew 12, verse 38, they said, teacher, we want a sign from you. And in the next verse, he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation, it should say generation, ask for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then it says in verse 40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so the Pharisees wanted a sign and Jesus is like, no, I've given you plenty. And let me give you the best sign. I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise again, just like Jonah was three days and three nights in in the whale. You see, we have the best sign, the ultimate sign to know Jesus' death and his resurrection. We know that God is ultimately with us, that he's for us, that he's not trying to trick us as we make these decisions. It's not like we have to be fearful that we'll be out of God's will if we make this decision or that. If we are trusting that God is a good God who gave his son for us as the ultimate sign, we can have confidence that we can make a decision and move forward trusting that God loves us. And so we're going to celebrate that today in a time of communion. I want to invite Pastor Dathan forward. I'm going to pray, and then he's going to lead us in a time of communion. Father, I thank you for this passage today. I pray that um, it would not be confusing. I pray that it would remind us of who you are, Lord, that you're not trying to help to, to make us figure out this maze of decisions, that somehow we'll be out of God's will if we make the wrong decision. But you're a good God. You love us. You gave us the sign of Jesus Christ, your son, who spent three days in the grave and rose victoriously from the grave to prove that you are with us and you love us, that you are who you say you are. And so I pray that as our people this morning are making big decisions in life or even small decisions, Lord, that they would trust you, that you've got them. They would follow your will of desire, Lord, and they would make a decision in confidence 
knowing that you are leading them by your spirit. So Father, we commit this time to you and thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.